This is Public Occurrences, both foreign and domestic. And now your host, Michael O'Fallon. Reporting to you today from somewhere in the middle of the Aegean Sea, in between Ephesus and Israel. We are being gradually transitioned from a real, objectively based, truth-centered analog world, and into a fake, radically subjective, operational, goals-concerned, manipulation-centered digital world. And sometimes it seems as if there is no one who will stand up and fight for mankind for the United States, fight for our jobs and careers, fight for our families, fight for our churches, and for our faith. It is as if there is some grand cabal that has affected all of those that were supposed to be guarding us from this calamity, guarding us from invasion, guarding us from an insurrection, guarding us from heresy, but we lack heroes today. And one thing that is necessary to be a hero is to put individual safety as secondary, a secondary concern, that the need to save your family, your nation, your wife, your way of life, and your faith is much more important than your own physical safety, much more important than your financial situation, much more important than your standing among your community and among your peers. You see, a hero is, as musician Bob Dylan said, quote, a hero is someone who understands the responsibility that comes with his freedom, end quote. And what consequentially should follow in your thought process is that a hero does what is necessary. A hero is someone who will not compromise and agree to a lie. A hero understands the moment of time that he is in where he must make the ultimate sacrifice. A hero will break from the crowd. A hero will stand up to the nonsense. A hero will speak loudly when he is told to be quiet. But then again... I'm not really talking about a hero. I'm just talking about a person who's not a coward. Now, no doubt, there may be some pain coming your way if you stand up and say what needs to be said or do what needs to be done to save the civilization, to save our church, to save your family in the future. But that is the cost of freedom. You see, the primary person who is censoring you is not Mark Zuckerberg, or Klaus Schwab, or the meanies at Twitter, or your boss at work. You see, the main person who is censoring your speech and who is holding your voice back from making a difference is you. I need you to think about this for a moment. And you can see many things crumbling around you. Because things do fall apart. And the center will not hold. 
But you have been trained to behave this way, operationally, for decades, because you have been taught to trust the institutions that were apparently the safeguards of our nation, of our schools, of our laws, of our military, and of our churches and faiths. And you are going to have to admit it. You fell asleep at the wheel over the past decade, because, in reality, you weren't the one driving to your intended destination. And your response might be, well, we'll have to get Republicans in office and conservatives, and then everything will fix itself. Ladies and gentlemen, nothing ever fixes itself. Men and women with disguised ideologies and intentions fix the paths that we are set upon. And it is we, the people, the ordinary people who value our lives, our families, our nation, and our faiths, need to wrestle the control back from the institutions. The institutions that failed all of us. Because these institutions didn't just fail us. Many were actively working against us. They were purposely taking us down a road that 99.9% .9 of America had no idea they were actually on. And what is coming is total totalitarianism. Now, maybe you are doubting what I am saying. Maybe you are convinced that a great red wave will sweep over the House and the Senate, and the Republicans will fix everything by 2023. And if this is your belief, if you believe that the Republicans are going to all of a sudden stop FBI raids on the regimes of political opponents, shut down the new agency of environmental justice, stop the printing of money for the sake of new socialist programs and the fertile fallacy campaign on Ukraine— and the programming of our children with sexual deviancy. Stop the gruesome sex change operations happening with children. And the slaughter of unborn children. Fix our electoral systems. And the advancement of the surveillance state. Well, I'm not here to depress you, but if you think that this is going to be the result of a Republican win, then enjoy the grand masquerade that will begin in 2023. There are very few truly conservative, constitution-loving Republicans in office or running for office. The rest are actors, playing a role to appease the conservative base and to keep them from rioting. And some of you might be thinking, well, if we can just get Trump into the presidency in 2024, we can get everything back on track again. Really? <laughs> And this is not a personal shot at Donald Trump because he was leaning on his advisors who were either giving him bad advice purposely or were absolutely clueless. And there was an equal amount of both in his administration. But he had hired and promoted an army of Brutuses who would stab him in the back and would usher in this entire catastrophe in his administration led by none other than Mike Pence, Deborah Burks, Anthony Fauci, and Dr. Jerome Adams. Jerome Adams was hired as our nation's Surgeon General in the Trump administration. And Jerome Adams is a Marxist. He is a Marxist whose main concern was promoting health equity, 
otherwise known as what James Lindsay and I call it, medical Marxism. Trump hired Mark Esper as the Secretary of Defense, whose main intention was to spread critical race theory to our troops. And I could go on and on and on. And what about our educational institutions? Even Harvard, Yale, Princeton, the Ivy League institutions. They are all unfixably corrupt to the core. They are more fixated on creating radical Marxist revolutionaries than they are about teaching young people on how to become good scientists or to become great educators or fantastic lawyers who are dedicated to the Constitution. Oh, quite the opposite. Or even great doctors. Speaking of doctors, what about our institution of health care? What about our doctors who are amongst the most trusted professionals in our nation? Well, trust in medical institutions is at an all-time low. In the Medical Economics Journal from December of 2021, the author states, quote, In a 2019 Pew Research Center survey, 74% of respondents said they had a mostly positive view of medical doctors. By contrast, in 2021, only 35%, that's a 50% decline, folks, just about, 40% decline, only 35% said that they had a great deal or fair amount of confidence that elected officials will act in the public's best interests. And 46% said the same thing of business leaders. More than half of those surveyed, 55%, worry medical science has become politicized. Folks, that's 55%. And survey results split among party lines. Only half of independent or third-party voters had a high trust rate in health care, compared to 60% of Republicans and 70% of Democrats. I need you to think about these numbers, because it was your doctor that you trusted the most in 2019. 74% said that they would. Skepticism is at an all-time high, and it should be. Well, as treatments become oriented around Marxian concepts like equity, as vaccinations and health procedures begin to be questioned by the average patient, well, hesitation then occurs. Hesitation for that dizziness or chest pain. Maybe you're going to hesitate from going to the doctor. Hesitation for that new bump on your shoulder. And as a lack of information is shared by hospitals and the media regarding the effects and effectiveness of the mandated vaccines, well, skepticism will rise. The greatest loss of institutional trust, of course, has been in the hospitals. But then again, what about law enforcement or our justice system? Now, when I say this, I don't mean the rank-and-file city police or the county sheriff's deputies. Well, actually, there are some that you need to be doubting. But I mean the whole system, which put rioters' grievances as paramount over our laws against violence, arson, and stealing. All of these crimes are given indulgences from the International Temple of Restorative Justice. The entire concept of restorative justice is ruling our Justice Department right now. 
the idea that in order to do social justice in a collective sense, that current discrimination and harm must be done to the systems of oppression, and by systems of oppression, they mean capitalism, by the way, as well as to the white races that fostered that oppression for the last 200 years. So crimes will be allowed against certain people due to their immutable attributes. And many horrible crimes, arson, looting, assault, and battery, will be given restorative justice indulgences by the Department of Justice. Now, in the same sense, repressive tolerance rules the Justice Department. Now, what is repressive tolerance again? Well, the critical theoretician from the Frankfurt School, Herbert Marcuse, defined repressive tolerance as, quote, the conclusion reached is that the realization of the objective of tolerance would call for intolerance towards prevailing policies, attitudes, opinions, and the extension of tolerance to policies, attitudes, and opinions which are outlawed or suppressed. In other words, today tolerance appears again as what it was in its origins at the beginning of the modern period, a partisan goal, a subversive liberating notion and practice. Conversely, what is proclaimed and practiced as tolerance today is in many of its most effective manifestations serving the cause of oppression, end quote. You know, Marcusa would go on to say this, quote, I suggest in repressive tolerance the practice of discriminating tolerance in an inverse direction. As a means of shifting the balance between right and left by restraining the liberty of the right and thus counteracting the pervasive inequality of freedom unequal opportunity of access to the means of democratic persuasion, and strengthening the oppressed against the oppressed. Tolerance would be restricted with respect to movements of a demonstrably aggressive or destructive character, destructive of proponents for peace, justice, and freedom for all. Such discrimination would also be applied to movements opposing the extension of social legislation to the poor, the weak, disabled, as against the virulent denunciations that such a policy would do away with the sacred liberalistic principle of equality for the other side. I maintain that there are issues where either there is no other side in any more than a formalistic sense, or where the other side is demonstrably regressive and impedes possible improvement of the human condition. To tolerate propaganda for inhumanity vitiates the goals not only of liberalism, but of every progressive political philosophy, end quote. So the idea that Marcuse is forwarding is a need to be intolerant to the right and overly tolerant to the left, because the revolution must not be hindered. And that is exactly what you have going on in our Justice Department, in our FBI, in our other institutions with law enforcement capabilities in the federal government. But law, really, law is no longer important. Justice is paramount. Social justice. And people across America have also lost their trust in just about every corporation in the United States, especially those associated with the production of culture. Disney has stained its own brand with their radical mix of sexualization of children and the creation of a homonormative atmosphere with their movies and entertainment. It has even bled into their theme parks. They have completely sold out the legacy of Walt Disney, disrupted and dismantled the century of good, of goodwill and trust created 
with the trusting American public. And they have created a woke Disney World. And one has to wonder if they will begin selling cartoon-themed sex toys in their gift shops soon. Possibly selling gender-neutral costumes and encouraging 47-year-old men to become a princess for the day. They have subversively traded the most magical place on Earth for Klaus Schwab's Great Reset. A reset that is intent in destroying families, destroying cultural continuity, and destroying America. The America that Walt Disney was so concerned about preserving. And then you have the auto manufacturers who for the last two years told everyone a lie that the reason that they didn't have any cars was because of a semiconductor shortage of chips and stuff in COVID. Well, you know, the thing. And they were willing to take a trillion dollar loss to wait on some chips. Yeah. That was all a lie. And at the same time, the gas and oil companies were scaling back on production. Because both were being directed by BlackRock and Vanguard to move completely into electric. And of course, this was coordinated with what was going to be happening in the Biden administration with the massive changes. What changes, might you ask? Well, the change will be to push all of us into autonomous satellite-driven vehicles that would be too pricey for you to purchase, so you have to plan on Ubering everywhere beginning in 2030. Well, that is what's coming. And now you are finding every airline, every hotel, every cruise line, every anything being most concerned about their commitment to ESG and the 17 sustainability goals of the World Economic Forum in the United Nations. And completely uncommitted to serving you, the customer. You see, this is all about forcing behaviors. And behavior modification is what you are expected to do, almost like as if you had just joined a new religion. And speaking of religion, the one institution that should be completely burnt to the ground should be the simulacrum of what was the Evangelical and Reformed Church. Now, when I say this, I'm not referring to the honest and true believers who trust in the Lord and the Scriptures for their guidance. I'm referring to the charlatans, the pimps, that prostituted the church out to the World Economic Forum, the Council on Foreign Relations, and to various Chinese Communist Party interests. And yes, their numbers are legion. And I would like for you to consider the following— All of the leaders who participated in the massive attempt to infuse Christianity with a critical consciousness over the past 14 years, all of the men who participated in the internal leftward dialectical problem-reaction-solution game in the Gospel Coalition, all of the men and women who purposely pushed critical race theory and intersectional thought in churches, in seminaries, in denominations— All of the men who attempted to queer the Southern Baptist Convention and the Presbyterian Church in America four years ago. All of the men who looked the other way during the passage of Resolution 9, which tried to normalize CRT and intersectionality as analytical tools in the Southern Baptist Convention. All of the men who paraded Jamar Tisby around at all of their conferences and wrote forwards to his books that were dripping with critical race theory and repressive tolerance. All of the men 
who poisoned thousands of minds of future pastors all across the world. All of the men who ushered in standpoint hermeneutics in the largest seminaries in the world. All of the men who misused Romans 13 to guilt believers into following guidance provided by the World Health Organization and China. All of the men who guilted believers into staying home, killing the economy, putting their neighbor out of work, and not meeting as a church. All, all of those men are still in their positions of power. Men like Albert Moeller, who is basically the ecclesial representation of Anthony Fauci. Men like Legan Duncan, who has memory hold his exploits into radical social justice at Reformed Theological Seminary. Men like Danny Aiken, who has hired radical staff that teaches liberation theology, radical egalitarianism, and leftist concepts. Men like Mark Dever, who radicalized nine marks during the woke renaissance. Men like Kevin D. Young, who still serves at the Gospel Coalition, who works for Legan Duncan, the critical consciousness machine. Yes, that was the brainchild of Tim Keller and Don Carson. They are all still in their offices, and they have had to offer no responses for what they have done. And now, they are reinventing themselves. And they will still push collectivism. And they will do so while calling themselves Christian nationalists. But that word doesn't mean what you think it means. And these men will likely never be called to repentance. Never. They won't budge. And the people in the pews need to know that their churches were sold out to the progressive globalists. And the people in the pews need to know that these men are still at work, finding new paths and new narratives and ways that they can manipulate the church instead of standing up against this hideous evil that seeks to destroy mankind. They won't repent. They are concerned about their legacies more than they are about saving the Christian faith or about saving the United States of America or about saving Western civilization as we know it. Now, they will advocate for Curtis Yarvin's backward schemes, but they won't do what is necessary to stop this evil from destroying your children's future. And I'm telling you, that's what this is about. They won't tell you the truth. They won't rally the church to stand against this evil. And the problem is this. A bunch of men that tweet boldly about cultural issues and create podcasts that talk about issues in the church don't have the backbones or the integrity to stand up and end the rape of the Bride of Christ. Instead of taking a stand and stopping the rape, these men are like bystanders on a New York City subway pulling out their iPhones and recording the rape as it is in progress so they can put it up on their Instagram later with commentary. Oh, and they will commentate all day. They'll even write books. But they won't stop it. And they know that Moeller, Dever, Duncan, Keller, Aiken, etc. are all deceiving. 
but they won't protect the bride of Christ because they are more concerned about protecting their own reputations and legacies. Because if you criticize a Moeller or a Duncan, you might have men speaking poorly about you. You might lose some of those needed funds for your ministry. You might not get that promotion that you needed at the seminary. You might not get that really great speaking opportunity that's going to pay well with the honorariums. There are no heroes left. An atheist like James Lindsay will be more honest and objective about what the problems are in the Southern Baptist Convention, in the Presbyterian Church of America, in the seminaries, than any of the other commentators who have written books about CRT. Because James, honestly, doesn't care about funds and committee appointments. He just wants to win. And he knows that faith is the necessary third leg of the stool for what is being built. Faith is the necessary third leg of the stool for the revolution to win. It takes top-down governance. It takes corporate participation. Oh, that's fascism. But it also takes education and faith, which are the third leg of the stool. See, that's integralism. Integralismo, as it was known in Brazil. So there are no heroes left protecting the Shire. They would like to think of themselves as being courageous. But they are all just participating in fracturing the church even more. And they are concerned about getting past this whole woke CRT conference. Just get it behind it. I mean, that is, that's yesterday. Okay, we got we to move on. Because they want to protect their own personal rise. But the truth is that, brothers, brothers, I'm speaking to you. If you don't stand up and remove the Judases from the church, there is no future evangelical Christian church, at least not in its current form, that will exist. I'm not making a faithless statement here. I know what the technocrats have planned, and eventually the church will be discarded. No matter what anybody's telling you right now, believe me, the plan 30 years from now is that we will be discarded. And it'll happen if we don't stand up. Because right now, we in the Reformed Evangelical community, I'll say it, we are a church of cowards, especially the Reformed Christian Church. What a bunch of opportunistic cowards. Man, what has come into you? I mean, guys, you can't practice church discipline ever again. Not with a straight face. This is all just simulacrum. This is a simulacrum of Christianity at this point. We have no watchmen on the wall anymore. No one will say or do what is biblically necessary. No one with any decent platform. Literally no one. And the sands in the hourglass are few. And everyone is looking for someone with integrity. 
Everyone is looking for the man who will say, this far, no further, be gone. Everyone is looking for the man who is willing to be shunned. Everyone is looking for the man who will really trust in his Lord and Savior for the sake of the church, the gospel, for his own family, for the nation, and for mankind. But they aren't really looking for a hero. They're just looking for a man who will act like a man. A man with conviction. I'm Michael O'Fallon, and this has been Public Occurrences, both foreign and domestic.